Well, this morning, um, I'm going to start actually in, in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2. And don't worry, I already asked Charles as if it was okay to <laughs> speak a little bit in the book of Acts. Uh, so, Acts chapter 2, and uh, starting in verse 41. So, in, in this section here, um, of course, what just happened, you know, Peter, uh, he was preaching uh, to the, the Jews and the others that were around there. And in verse 41, it says, So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So again, they were continually devoting themselves to these things, which are the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Uh, this morning, I was wanting to speak on the necessity of the fellowship of the saints. Um, and as, as I go forth here, I think it would be helpful to get a, a good idea of what this word fellowship means. Um, and the Greek word, I'm, I'm going to mess it up, koinonia, I think is what it, what it is. Um, it's used in multiple fashions through the New Testament. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to read about four verses. You don't have to turn to these verses. And I'm going to read these verses so you can kind of see um, how these writers were using, uh, how they use this, this, uh, this word here. So 1 Corinthians 10.16, it says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing, so fellowship, in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So you have sharing. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? They use fellowship here, but I thought it was kind of interesting how in the context... It's talking about an intimate relationship with an unbeliever, and it's using the word bound and partnership and fellowship, and those are all synonyms. Second uh, Corinthians 8, 3-4. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation, fellowship, participation, in the support of the saints. 2 Corinthians 9, 13-14. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution, fellowship, to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you, because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Okay, so now, again, using that word in, in multiple ways there, um, there, was, there was a guy, he, I'm not sure actually where this quote came from, uh, but he defined fellowship as such. He says, fellowship is a relationship of inner unity among believers that expresses itself in outer co-participation with Christ and one another in accomplishing God's will on earth. So what does that mean? 
So what, what, what has happened to us? Something happened on the inside of us. Something supernatural has happened inside of us. We were once dead in our sins. We were once children of wrath, even as the rest. But God did something to us. God did something supernatural to us. He changed us. He transformed us. And now we are all children of God. So we have this inner unity, all of us together. I mean, isn't that amazing? Thinking of that dividing wall that was broken down so that we all can have this unity together. But fellowship is not just, well, we have something in common here. Okay, it's, it's the expression of, what the, of the inner reality, of what that really is. We have this connection. Okay, we are all Christians. But the fellowship is, again, it's, it's expressing itself outward of the reality in your heart. Um, and if you, if you look at these words here, it says sharing, fellowship, participation, contribution. Are those stagnant words? You know, no, I mean, those, those are action words, right? You're participating in something. You actually contribute something. You share something. It's not just a, a one-sided thing where you just sit there and it, and it happens. You have to do something. It's, it's a doing word. Um, in, in true fellowship, something also we can kind of glean from the, this, uh, these verses here, in true fellowship... Both parties are contributing. Again, it's not just a one-sided thing. And I thought it was really interesting here. In, in 2 Corinthians, of course, chapter 8 and chapter 9, you know, he's talking about giving, right? Um, and in chapter, uh, chapter 8, he's talking about, he says, They gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. So this is on the, on the behalf of the Gentiles here. So this is one party. In 2 Corinthians 9, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel in Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. So again, here's this Gentile church. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. So do you see that contribution on both parties? You see that sharing? This Gentile church is, is urging Paul. Say, you know, Paul, we want to give. Begging Paul. We want to give to this church in Jerusalem. We want to. We beg you, Paul. Take this, take this offering from us. And, and on the flip side, what is Paul saying? This church in Jerusalem is is praying for them, and they're glorifying God as what's happening. And not just that, but they're yearning for this church, this Gentile church. See, you even see this intimacy there. It's not just, well, I'm going to give some money, and, and, and that's it, or, well, I'll just say a prayer. It's, it, there's an, an intimate relationship there. Even, even with that great distance, there's that intimate relationship. Yeah. Um, so the next question here is, why is fellowship necessary? Why is it necessary for us to meet together, to participate with one another, to share with one another? Why? What's the big deal? Well, A, I think that we can clearly see through the New Testament the examples given over and over again. I mean, again, here in Acts chapter 2 again, you know, they were continually devoting themselves, continually, this 
you know, and, and all through the New Testament, all the epistles, you know, their, their church is meeting together. Uh, so this is an example given to us by the early church. And not just, is it, not just that it's an example, but it's also commanded to us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's, this is very clear. Do not forsake this. Do not leave this. Do not separate yourself from an assembly. You need to assemble together. Another verse is in John thirteen thirty four through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, this is not clearly a commandment, but how else are you supposed to live that out if you're not assembling with one another? You have to assemble with one another to show the outside world the love that we have for one another, right? And I mean, even speaking of the, the one another verses, I mean, we could list all of them out. And that, that's a clear example of what we ought to be doing, right? This, all, all these verses, all these words by Paul and the others commanding these one another, how to treat one another, is in the context of the local church, is in the context of assembling together and how to act as we assemble together. So why then? Why is it really, why is it commanded? What's, what's the benefit of it? Okay, I, I know that it's necessary, but do I really need it? I mean, in fact, I mean, that's kind of a, is that a hard thing to say? You need other people? I mean, you think about that. I, I struggled with this actually a little over 10 years ago, uh, whenever I first, first moved here, just, just struggling with that idea that I need other people because I, I really only need Jesus Christ, right? And, 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 and so you, you have that thought, which there's an element of truth in that, but, but that's misguided. God has provided something in fellowship, and we need each other. We have to have each other. And so here's why. Why don't we go ahead and uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Because you see here, you need fellowship for you and for the church's perseverance to the end. You need us and I need you. We, We need each other. To persevere to the end. So 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of assurance firm until the end. And one thing quickly in this, in this verse here, what, what does he say? Does he say, take care, elders, that there not be in any one of our midst an unbelieving heart? You know, and, you know, and also, but elders encourage the, the brethren? No, it doesn't say that, does it? This is for you. This is for us. 
It says, take care, each one of us, take care, see to it, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but you encourage one another as, it is, as long as it's called today, which is every day. As long as we have breath in our throats, it's today. Encourage the brethren so that we will not become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Have you, have you guys thought about this warning here? Uh, there in, in verse 14 where it says, For we have become partakers if we hold fast. This is a true warning to all of us. I mean, you could be professing for 40 years. And if you were to lose your grip, if you were to lose your fastness upon Christ, you could therefore prove that you were never partakers of Jesus Christ. You know, I believe, I mean, Scripture clearly teaches in the perseverance of the saints. Absolutely. But there's also these warnings here, too, that you must hold fast. So how does that work itself out? So, okay, so we know that we've, we've got to hold fast to this. We, we, we have to. We have to press on to the end. How does that work? How does that work day after day? I mean, obviously, we have in Scripture, you know, where God provides his spirit within us to teach us and to correct us and to mold us, but also a means of our perseverance is in fellowship, is in unity with one another. This is a gift from God to us for our sake to help us to persevere in the Lord. Not one of us is too holy to need help from someone else. Not one of us is. Not one of us is too strong too knowledgeable in Scripture, too close to the presence of the Lord to need help from other people. Um, here recently, and actually what kind of um, brought this, this study out, um, was reading in the book of Exodus. And let's go ahead and turn to Exodus, please. In uh, chapter 17, And if you think about, of course, in that time period, I mean, who would you think that the most holy person is at this time? I mean, clearly you would think Moses, right? I mean, the most humble man around at that time period, you know? And, and, and you think of, of what all he saw and what all he experienced. So you would think, man, he, he should, he's a strong man, you know? Uh, but listen to these things. Listen to, okay, so 17, starting in verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out. Fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses went up to the top of the hill by himself. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, Moses, Aaron, and her went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses' hands, Moses held his hands up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they, Aaron and Hur, took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side 
and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Do you see that? Okay. So here Moses is standing at the top of the hill holding his hands up. So what's happening? You know, his hands are getting weary. They're getting tired. Okay. And his friends that are there, his intimate acquaintances, see that. So what do they do? They sit him down on a rock. And not just do they sit him down, but they sustain him. Okay, they're holding his hands. By this point, his hands are so tired, he's not even really using his strength to uphold them. Moses is leaning upon his friends, his two friends. And do you see how important that is? I mean, we, we, we couldn't imagine what would have happened. But because we know that because Moses held his hands up in intercession to the Israelites, they prevailed over the enemy. So the same with us. Brother, there's going to be times when your hands are heavy and you're not going to be able to hold them up. You're going to need acquaintances, really more than just acquaintances. You need someone that is intimate with you to be there by your side to hold your hands up for you. There's going to be times when you're so low that you're going to need that encouragement just to take another step, just to press on. You're going to need that. And that's what God is providing here. So we have here in fellowship, so again, Aaron and Hur, they are contributing to Moses. They're helping Moses. They're building him up here, encouraging him. So we have one aspect of that. Another aspect is actually in, just in the next chapter here. Um, and starting, so chapter 18, starting in verse 13. So the, the context is, is just that um, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, He's coming out to meet him, and, and you can even see a, a sense of, of, of unity between the both of them. Moses fell at the feet of Jethro, kissing his feet, you know, and so you, you see that intimacy there between, between the two of them. And so in verse 13, it says, It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Well, Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. And so then he goes on and, and explains what, what Moses ought to do. And Moses listened to his counsel, and he did it. But do you hear his words? His intimate friend came and said, Moses, what are you doing? You know, Moses had no clue. He didn't realize it. He didn't think about it. And I, I think that if Moses had realized it, he would have changed, right? But he couldn't see something. See, we need other people to step into our lives also and to correct us, to point things out for us. Andy, what you're doing, you might want to reconsider that. 
You know, that might not be the best thing. But how about this instead? You see, uh, we need that fellowship. We need that, uh, that intimacy with other believers so that we can enter into each other's lives and correct each other, to build each other up, again, for the sake of perseverance, so that we can persevere to the end. I like how um, John Piper, in talking about this, he, he says, eternal security is a community project. <laughs> it's true, right? You know, you can't just, you yourself can't just press on and to the end. You know, it's, it's a community effort. You've got to submit yourself to the community. You've got to submit yourself to fellowship, to, in, in a sense, to expose your heart to people so that they can enter into your lives to encourage you if, if you're struggling, so they can, they can step by your side and hold your hand up to pray for you, to be by your side during this difficult time, or to be to be able to step in and say, listen, you might want to reconsider this. You know, this, this is actually kind of harmful for you. Instead, how about this instead? So what, what a grace of God that we have fellowship. Uh, again, this great gift from God that we can gather together as his holy children in unity and to build each other up for the sake of pressing on. Um, Someone gave me a few quotes from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book called Life Together. And he says, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. If there is so much blessing and joy, even in a single encounter of brother with brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with the other Christians. You see that? We have this inexhaustible riches that are there, that open up in fellowship. Brother meeting with brother, sister meeting with sister. You sharing what the Lord's doing in your life. Encouraging the other brothers. You know, and, and that opens your eyes to things. That encourages your heart. That helps you to press on. Also, he says, Diedrich says, It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. And what happened to Diedrich? (laughs) A few years later after he had this, I mean, he was put into a concentration camp and was later killed by the Nazis. You see, I mean, we, we have no clue what's in front of us, what's going to be in front of us. We have this great grace of fellowship. Let's not take that for granted. 